Hey guys, Chris from CCA here. We started this podcast a little more than a year ago, and it's been quite the ride with you as a listener. But have you ever thought about creating a podcast for yourself? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, it's been super easy and painless to bring you fresh content almost every single week. And we've got so much more to come, too. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. Welcome in. Thank you so much for joining us on the CCA California podcast. Good to be with you another week. My name is Chris. We are so grateful for you hanging out with us for another week of the podcast. This week, we took a little bit of a uh, different approach to the podcast. We had our good friend, Mr. Matt Rose from Sagebrush Wisdom join us this week, and we decided to take a little bit of a different approach. We made it super, super conversational, where obviously he's got his own podcast, we have ours, so we thought we'd publish more or less the same episode with our little uh, different flavors and um, just have a really good conversation, which we certainly did. We're definitely looking forward to seeing how this goes uh, amongst all of you, the listeners, and uh, we certainly had a great time seeing uh, Matt and uh, in the studio with us and uh, really Really have a good conversation with them. Um, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to give off too much information. But as always, make sure to go follow us on Instagram at CCA California. Make sure to follow us on Facebook as well. Make sure to hit the subscribe button on our podcast. It certainly does help us uh, to continuing to grow this podcast as uh, we try and keep bringing you more content throughout every week. Well, without further ado, I will hit the record button for you guys. Make sure to go follow us once again. Make sure to do the subscribe thing, all that good stuff. And uh, as always, the second half of the conversation is going to be on the Doc Talk podcast. Make sure to go subscribe to that one as well. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Thank you so much. Mr. Matt Rose, what's up, man? How, How are you? How's it going today? Good, oh, man. Good. It's Friday, right? So that's always yep. a good thing. I'm excited to be here. You know, uh, fishing, I keep looking at all the boats coming back and bringing fish back and i'm like is it time to go is it time to go <laughs> it, it's time to go yeah <laughs> yeah well especially when you're on instagram and all of a sudden you start seeing these 200 pound bluefin come over the rail on on many different boats it's like why am i why am i yep. not there why am i here well i think that is like a big change even over the last year with like knife jigging last year is everybody started it most people want to fish for bluefin later in the season. Mm -hmm. And then it was the spring that people were bringing in, you know, the heavy hitters. And it was like, yeah, we're not ready for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It, it seems like I was just uh, I was just talking to someone the other day where every year tells a completely different story from the year previous. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. like last year, I remember like in May or June, it was nothing but knife jigs. Yeah, and, right. that, and that that also changes or that applies to the different jigs that's the hot jig of the year. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I remember when the flat fall first came out from Shimano, Yep, which was, I don't know, maybe 2015, 2016, something mm -hmm. like that. And then last year it was the Mad Max from, from Nomad. Yep. You had to have a Mad Max. And of course they're all sold out. The tackle stores, you yep. can't, you can't uh, keep up yep. with demand at all. Well, Nomad came out with that squid jig this year. Yes. And yeah. they keep saying that they're sold out, but I haven't heard anybody trying to use them yet i mm -hmm. it's kind of like they came out with that flying fish troller last year that you didn't need a kite for oh yeah. but i don't think anybody everybody was using mad max i don't think anybody i didn't hear of anyone catching one on no, one of that, those plastic uh 
I guess it kind of skips, but yeah. Well, it's it's. I think it probably has a lot to do with the timing of the year as well. As well, like mm-hmm. right now, it's all knife jigging. Yeah, like it's yeah. basically that. Isn't but, the clear popper a big thing right now? Yeah, too? I was just well, not right now, but it was in the springtime. Like yeah, yellowfin, dorado, mm-hmm. and all that. I, gosh, I I want to get my hands on that so badly. I just never made it around. I got around <laughs> to it. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So Matt. You've got a podcast, Sagebrush, Sagebrush Wisdom. Sorry. Um, tell us about it, man. Yeah. So initially it started a couple of years ago, more or less during COVID. I started uh, tying flies for fly fishing. Mm-hmm. And I love fly fishing. I kind of really, that was the first outdoor thing that I started doing and was like in Southern California, kind of thinking, you know, a lot of people love fly fishing, but they don't know that much about it down here because you only get to fish a couple times a year so it was like this could be like a really cool way to you know spread fishing knowledge kind of get people inspired into the mountains Mm -hmm. and then of course like as i am i'm just a very curious person so then i was like well i want to post about spear fishing i want to post about you know rod and reel fishing i want to do all this other stuff that's also outdoorsy, but not just that's right. fly you fishing. You have like so many different interests between fly fishing and spear and, and yeah. rod and reel and all that stuff. That's cool. In a weird way, I base it off of it's not necessarily just for uh, Southern California, but I think Southern California has this awesome example. And I always, I feel like if there's one thing that I preach, it's this California kid style. Like you could do it all if you really want, you know, mm-hmm. whether you surf and snowboard, bring a fly rod to Mammoth or bring a halibut set up to Sano and go fish, you know, mm. have these wider range experiences. Like don't obviously like you don't have to throw it all out with the bathwater, mm-hmm. you know, to just become a fisherman going on sport boats, but you have this playground here in California. That's unreal. I mean, even though deer hunting might be really hard, maybe being in the mountains is what you want to do with your day, you know, mm-hmm. and that is a special thing, learning how to hunt. And then 10 years later, you might be thanking yourself that you got started when you did versus oftentimes I think people are 45 years old and thinking, I want to get into this yeah. new thing. And it's, not too late, but it just is a lot harder. Kind of like what this guy did. He just got into it like a couple of years ago, and you're what, like 65? Yeah. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> but, you know, you talk about hunting. There's no shortage of uh, pigs here in California. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And so getting people inspired to use the outdoors is my – We ha- my friend has the same, and I'm sure it's probably echoed through – all the outdoors, but you know, participation leads to conservation, right? So if you don't use it, you won't cherish it. You won't, Mm -hmm. you won't protect it. You won't do any of those things. So the more you are inspired to go out and do these things, I think the more you will protect it later on. And Obviously, we're here going to be talking about like conservation and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But I think the one really big gap in a lot of people trying to protect our land and our waters don't actually use it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I always joke like the person who loves ducks the most is is the duck hunter because they're the ones who can name all the different types of ducks. They know when they're migrating. They know what they eat. They know how important the habitat is. And most other people are just like, yeah, that's a duck. I don't care. <laughs> you know, but then they're the ones saying like, we need to protect this. And you're like, right. okay, but do you know how that happens? And mm-hmm. they don't really know. So um, to me, and I think you guys have that tagline, but like the angler is the conservationist. Yeah. Right? Same with the hunter. I mean, you can yeah. pretty much say the outdoorsman is the conservationist. Yeah. I think when I was listening to one of your episodes recently and you had made a comment about how and going right along the lines where, okay, if the expert of bluefin tuna 
I think he like they live out in Wisconsin or somewhere in the uh-huh. Midwest. They don't interact with it on yeah. a daily basis, kind of like what we do. Yeah. It's the same concept. Well, I mean, Kevin Nakata talks about that all the time, but he's like... Who's Kevin? <laughs> he's, I haven't heard that name before. Who yeah. is that? <laughs> I'm not familiar. <laughs> he, he's always like, you know, the biologists come out here for a week and everything might change for that one week. And I always, this is one of my like big jokes on the podcast, but I'm like... For all those people who've gone through breakups and their friends like, oh, there's plenty of fish out in the sea. <laughs> oh, like yeah. they've never they've never been on the ocean when there's nothing biting. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing more desolate than being out on the ocean and seeing and nothing. nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that basic idea of like, yeah, it's so easy to think like our waters are you know, I guess good we're in danger right now. It's really easy to think that if you're only there for one week, yeah. but if you're there for a whole year, two seasons or the last yeah. 10 seasons, it's mm-hmm. like the numbers are not saying this, you know, the white sea bass, man, last year, like the endeavor and all that stuff oh. up in channel islands right now. I like, know. Yeah. Right now, the pride, all those guys, they're just reeling in white sea bass. And I, and I feel like I, I didn't fish 10 years ago, but from what I've heard, that was not the case with white sea bass, you know? And so the Hubs Institute is doing so much for white sea bass. And yet I think what the public is hearing is that, oh, like this isn't being successful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's kind of a disconnect. Well, that's the total, that's the total opposite. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let me give you some background on that. So, when it comes to, they call it the ORHEB program, the Ocean Research Enhancement and Hatchery Program, mm-hmm. um, which is run by the $5 stamp that you buy with your fishing license. Um, it's the uh, the Ocean Enhancement Stamp. Mm-hmm. So all those funds go to that program, or most of them, I should say. And when it comes to that $5, it goes to funding that program. They do all of the... Um, they do all the growing for the hatchery program. They run basically that section of the program to mm-hmm. where, um, and they've been doing it for 30 years. And I think they, gosh, they, I think I, I always mess up this number, but they just released like their 1 million, 1 million fish like 10 years ago or something. Wow. Like white sea bass. So it's, it's mm-hmm. productive. Yeah. And for years and years and years, um, others, I'll just call them others, didn't believe in the program. They said that they only have, I think it was like less than 1% effectiveness on the stock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 1%. And there was just a recent genetic study that was released by AFCO. Um, that number wasn't necessarily 1%. It was like more than like the 20% or the uh-huh. 30%. So, and all, all of that research is being done right now where we just collected, well, we, the fleet, uh, commercial and private boaters, um, they collected over a thousand heads last year for their ta- for their uh, genetics genetic study and they ended up well we're still trying to figure out the results right now we're still waiting for those to come back but they're hoping that it's going to increase maybe to 30% 40% mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. nice which is unbelievable when you know you for all these years they said oh less than 1% yeah really Are you sure so that that 30 to 40% that's only just from the ones that were turned in yeah, just yeah. from the ones that have yeah. been turned yeah. in. If we if we could get 100% participation in that, those numbers would be way up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're working on that. Yeah. You know, it it is funny because obviously there's this like pride of if you get a white sea bass and you get their um the stones. The stone yeah. back. Yeah. You know, it's an easy way to get both of those things. It's like you get the fish count and you get the stone back. Mm-hmm. Right. But a lot of people are like, oh, I just got a white sea bass and they don't know. And yeah. so they just throw it in the trash and that's it. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a little bit uh, deflating, I guess, in mm-hmm. a way to where, man, we, we could have gotten that head or, or whatnot. And I understand the people that they want their stones. I get that. Um, but in the name... In the name of science, it's actually better to actually get those, uh, get those heads, get those stones. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe hubs can send you the stones once you're done with the. I think the so. Head. In the name of real science, yeah. In the, yeah. In the real let's, science. Let, let's get this right. <laughs> 
But yeah, I mean, good program that yeah. hopefully is going to be inflated a little bit. And now when it comes to um, the next species, um, which is all done with private money right now, mm-hmm. um, we're working on the California, California halibut too. Yeah. Cause that's the next species of priority for, I think it's the department of fish and wildlife mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. So working on a whole bunch of stuff, but yeah. overall good. And that's kind of us as the anglers putting our money where our mouth is caring about the stock and the resource. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's just, I was listening to your guys's uh, podcast with uh, Matt Brawla from captain's concepts. Oh, yeah. And he was kind of saying how like, there's more fish. There's more people fishing now than there were ten years ago, and oh, one hundred percent. Social media, all just, this stuff. COVID kind of just got, through the COVID era. We yeah. How many? I think it was like what? four million. Yeah, yeah. And so it it is really encouraging to me that there's those numbers. Like when I go duck hunting, and there's a ton of people duck hunting. When mm-hmm. I go out, and we can obviously talk about how crowded things are and kind of get bummed out because obviously you want your honey hole to work or whatever it is. But at the same time, you have to look at this as like success too, because you know, when the blue, when the bluefin do show up and there's enough fish to go around or, you know, every single boat next to you is hooked up on Dorado. Mm -hmm. You have to wonder like something went right. Yeah. You know, obviously this doesn't happen maybe 20 years ago or whenever it was that they were using like the fish nets and all that stuff, mm-hmm. this wasn't really happening, not mm-hmm. the same way. Yeah. And so you have to kind of think like we've done something right. And that's the story that I want people to hear because I think in a lot of places um, there's a disconnect and that disconnect is that we're the bad guys, Yeah, you know, whether you're hunting or fishing or whatever, and my kind of like general inspiration is like the old poets, you know, in a way like John, John Steinbeck wasn't necessarily a poet, but like people like Ernest Hemingway and all these people who did all these outdoor activities and then kind of were a part of, I guess, like the famed culture, you know, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, I'm, I'm reading this book right now by Jim Harrison who wrote a, uh, the sum of all fears or legends of the fall. Sorry. The le- nice. <laughs> legends of the fall. And, uh, but he, he has all these short stories of him, like fly fishing on rivers and, mm-hmm. you know, going down to Mexico and fishing or hunting or things like that. And that was like the true picture of a man, you know, 60 years ago. And now like, I feel like the picture of a man in most settings it's just kind of lost. Like people are kind of wandering around. Like I don't know what my purpose should be. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, well, just go outside and you'll find <laughs> it really quick. <laughs> you know. When it comes to, you, you had brought up the word success, and when it comes to getting more people out, whether it's outside in general or mm-hmm. fishing or hunting or whatever, what what do you see success as in that regard? So my personal view is that there's just no bad days when you're out there, you mm-hmm. know, especially like during COVID is a great example. I got to go duck hunting a lot and there's so much peace and serenity out on the duck pond. And to me, the success was not necessarily shooting a duck that day, but it was like being able to have mental clarity in that percent. Yeah. And so the success is, and I think that's the weird blend of what sagebrush wisdom is, is that it's a very personal journey that somebody goes through to become an outdoorsman. You know, it's mm-hmm. more so what happens on the inside for you than it is the outside. And obviously limits of fish or limits of ducks or whatever it is, catching lots lots of fish is always going to be an awesome experience. But a lot of people can catch fish too and they never like change as a person. Mm -hmm. And so um, my kind of goal in what I view as success is seeing that person become somebody who 
protects the land that's around them, who comes back a better person because of this experience, who, you know, faces challenge and doubt and faces it with perseverance and endurance. And then all of a sudden they come back and they're like, I'm a completely different person (laughs) because, you know, I never thought I would be that person that could do this. And somehow when I risked it all, Mm -hmm. it happened, you know, I, you know, especially nowadays to where there's so many different things where we're always connected, whether it's through our phones, computers, Mm -hmm. signal, whatever. And still it's kind of going away now with boats and all that, but it's still, in my mind, it's refreshing to where mm-hmm. you're not reachable for the day. Yeah. You truly are not reachable where you can't communicate outside. They can't communicate with you. It allows you to kind of just basically drop all the the, the guards mm-hmm. a little bit and just really get into kind of like what you were saying about really get into the, the, the deep, uh, I guess, almost like a meditation yeah. in a way. Yeah. I think um, it is crazy to me you know, how much we live on our phones. And I obviously am on my phone a lot. And I always try to say like, oh, it's for like building this thing and <laughs> trying to like build the podcast and stuff like right. that. But you get you get sucked down into like a deep pit sometimes with jealousy or greed or just like you get kind of caught up in the wrong ideas of, you know, if I'm not catching bluefin, then something must have deeply gone wrong and it's like no the fish just okay yeah i think i think what's crazy to me with with all this fishing stuff and you can we're on our phones all the time you Mm -hmm. know and oftentimes i think with my sagebrush wisdom i like claim that i'm using my phone to build the brand and all that stuff but ultimately like a lot of bad things can come up whether it's jealousy or greed or just like personal doubt. There's all this stuff that comes up when you see some boat come in with a bunch of fish and you weren't there, Oh yeah. you know, or something like that. And obviously a lot of it is good, but a lot of it can get tricky. And to me, like, especially in the fly fishing space now, you know, I actually kind of try not to take photos of the fish that I catch. Obviously it's, awesome when you do catch a good one, but I get caught up in that idea of like so many people fish for the photo, Mm, you know, and so many people fish just to get that. (laughs) I kind of laugh about it. And I, I obviously don't want to knock people who's, who are making a livelihood off of like sponsors and stuff. Right. But a lot of people catch like a 12 inch trout and they're like, all right, Reddington, like sponsor me. (laughs) And you're like, dude, that's your first fish, which I'm stoked on. But Also, like, I look at people who, like, mountain bike or snowboard and literally are, like, Mm -hmm. on death's doorstep. And they're barely sponsored. And I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to get sponsored for catching a fish. (laughs) But, uh, you know, without those people, though, too, you wouldn't have as much of a drive to get out there because there is, like, a cool factor in, in fishing. And there's something that, like, I have this deep, deep desire to catch a yellowtail on a surface iron. And I think that that comes from watching all these people, Mm -hmm. you know, like Kicker and Randy and all those guys, like just going hard fishing. And you're like, I want to be that. That's next on your list. You haven't done that yet. No. Okay. That's that, that should be a goal of ours. We should go fishing. Yeah. Get you on that. I would love that. There's nothing that beats it though. Yeah. I was kind of, I think, dry fly fishing mm-hmm. for trout might be the closest thing that I've caught a barracuda on the surface iron. Um, but I haven't caught a yellowtail, but it's just like one of those things, like you're so in tune to what you're doing at that moment mm-hmm. that I think, uh, yeah, there's nothing like it. I got so close. I had like a tuna last year with like a little stick bait. Oh, nice. And it grabbed it, but mm-hmm. it, for whatever reason, my line wasn't tight enough, oh, it so didn't it stick. didn't stick. And oh. I was like, "Ah, oh, man!" Like you could see it, my line move, but I just like mm-hmm. couldn't set the hook fast enough. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> we've all been there. Yeah, we've all been there. Yes, we have. <laughs> 
when it comes to the, um, you know, so l- l- let's kind of start in, in, in a category here, fly fishing. Mm-hmm. Did you start that as, as a, like, was that like your first, uh, I guess, trip down the fishing path or whatnot? So Did you st- first start fly fishing? I grew up uh, in a small town called Auburn, California, right above Sacramento. Okay. And so my dad loved fishing um, for salmon on the Sacramento. So a lot of my childhood was uh, on a boat, like a maybe 12-foot small aluminum boat with like an eight horsepower. <laughs> like we literally go like four miles <laughs> nice. an hour upstream. We've all been there. And uh, I have a twin brother, so like it was me – um, my dad and my twin brother, and we would just spend like most weekends fishing for salmon. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to go out of Monterey once. I think we were 10 years old on a boat and we went rock fishing. Nice. And my brother and I were like, this is the most fun. I think it was like right around Y2K. I think it was like a family trip that like a bunch of aunts and uncles were all right. there. And if I remember correctly, correctly, it was like 10 foot swell. So like oh, everybody on the boat got sick. <laughs> where, were you, where were you at? Um, I think we went out of Moss Landing. Okay. Um, I can't quite remember. I know my aunt and uncle who like hosted that weekend lived in Santa Cruz. So mm. somewhere in that scene. And now I think back and I'm like, Obviously, I've spent a lot of time on the ocean, and I don't really get seasick. Uh, that trip I kind of did, but I think it was more like <laughs> because everybody else around me is sick. Oh, yeah. And you get, like, sympathetic like gags. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> if one does, everyone does. We went we went out up there up north, and same thing. Big swells. Got yeah. my son with me, and he's getting ready to leave for the Navy. <laughs> He got he got seasick. And he's like, is it always like this, Dad? <laughs> no, son. No. <laughs> but it's contagious. It's yeah. like and then uh we we did go salmon fishing a couple times out of San Francisco. And that was always pretty funny because uh, we went I think three times and every time we went, strangely enough, we had like pretty good bites, but being an identical twin, like my brother and I were both just walking around the boat with fish on. So they're like, how many fish is this one kid caught? (laughs) You know, like, um, but yeah, there's a photo somewhere. My, my brother got the, the biggest fish of the day. So he was like 11 years old and with like a 27 pound King salmon. And, you know, up until that point though, like, or after, after we were about 12, 13 years old, we didn't really fish. Um, just get busy with sports and all that stuff. Sure. And then, uh, to be honest, I kind of got bored with like sitting on a river, you know, with a little flasher and trying to get a King salmon bite or something. And Mm -hmm. obviously the fishery up there has really been struggling about since then, you know, 20 years or so now, um, where they keep closing the fishing for the year and it's not really helping and all that stuff. But, um, then fly fishing kind of became that my own personal journey of I was going to school in Seattle and everybody hikes and everybody's like always outside. But I was like, why are we hiking around and not like using the space? You know, we can be at these like beautiful lakes, alpine lakes, and you see trout like everywhere, but people aren't fishing. You know, people aren't really engaging with it. It's almost like the difference between, uh, visualizing and recreating. Yep. Yeah. Everyone's visualizing, but not so much recreate. Well, one of the saddest things to me is, uh, I did go on a really cool backpacking trip, uh, shortly after college and we went up near Mount Baker. So like really high up in Washington Mm -hmm. and those mountains look like the Alps, you know, it's crazy. (laughs) Like you have all these like glacier mountains and then, just beautiful terrain, like super steep rocks, mm-hmm. like all this stuff. And um, it's perfect elk country. And yet I didn't know. We saw like, we saw sheep, we saw goats, like we saw all this stuff like out hmm. and about. And sometimes when people go hiking, I'm like, just stop for five minutes mm-hmm. and 
be quiet and you will be so surprised at what starts happening around you. But uh, a lot of people are just like, no, I have to get up to take this photo. <laughs> and then I'm like straight back down the mountain. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So that kind of brings, I don't know why I'm going to bring this up, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. Um, I just saw uh, on a, on a plane, I saw a couple episodes of that meat eater show uh-huh. um, on Netflix and they were, they were, they were hunting somewhere down in Mexico actually. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was very refreshing. I mean, actually any of those episodes really where they're kind of doing what you're, what you're doing where, you know, you're kind of scalping up the area and mm-hmm. kind of visualizing everything and all that. But really even the little tidbits of clips that I saw on the, on those episodes and everything, mm-hmm. they're doing exactly what you're doing. It's just sitting there quietly scoping out the land, figuring out trailing. I don't, I'm not a hunter. So I'm getting all this terminology. Scout, they're scouting, just like scouting. Like, thank yeah. you. Yeah. When, when we go out fishing, it's totally different. You're scouting, but you're always on the move. Yeah. yeah you know. Yeah. You go hunting. Mm-hmm. You pick a spot. Get under that tree. Put your get your binoculars out and start yeah. looking. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's the same concept. Looking for sheds. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite podcasts that I personally did on on my uh, podcast was with a. Um, psychologist and we talked right. about the psychology of fishing so we ended up talking a lot about how people start thinking that they're cursed out <laughs> on boats <laughs> or like wherever i mean it, you could be like trout fishing too but how often like you're in those spots when the when nothing is happening mm-hmm. and uh the mental games because those people will glass you know for those big animals they'll be out on a week and a half trip and they'll be glassing all day long and you're like, how do you mentally do that? Like, how do you stay in the game long mm-hmm. enough and just say, it's easy. <laughs> it's very easy. <laughs> you know, so you, but you have to have a positive mindset. Like you have to, you have to believe that, you know, you're there for a reason. And I, I like to also, there's almost like a side of like ultra marathon runners or something where it's just like, I'm on a mission and I'm not going to give up till I get there. But you know, some people will wait also, you know, three or four years to catch a bluefin, you know, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. like they go on multiple trips and they get skunked and they start thinking like, well, Jimmy over there got three fish and I'm staying right next to him and I haven't mm-hmm. got one. <laughs> like, so being able to like do that and kind of like seek out, you know, that, that mental side of things, you know, for me, I don't feel tired i feel like very alert when i'm glassing or when i'm like out like looking for patties or something Mm -hmm. you know like for a fisherman like they're working it's like you you you're on a mission you're trying to find that patty you're trying to find that little white bird floating on the surface Mm -hmm. and you'll spend five or six hours doing that and you'll look down at your watch and you're like how's it 12 30 right now yeah yeah but you know, it is a change of mind to get to that point. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of people aren't used to waiting that long. Oh yeah, to get to uh, what they're working for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, when at, in, in this day of age, with the um, instant gratification era, mm-hmm. to where everything is pretty much on call and there for you, whether it's food or deliveries or even Amazon or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it's like the complete opposite in fishing, at least, you know, fishing the way that we do it on the sport boats and all that, where you're Mm -hmm. actually in a way hunting around and looking around for all these surface areas to where um, you have, you know, you're looking for that white bird, kind of like what you said, Matt, Mm -hmm. where um, you're looking for so many different structures, so many different items that as soon as you come across, and even sometimes your your mind plays plays games on you where you think you saw something, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and the patty just disappears over a wave, and then you can't find it for twenty minutes, and then all of a sudden the guy that's on the boat, oh, there's a patty like twenty feet there, and you're, oh, you've got like so because you're you're scanning so much area, yeah, where even like right next to the boat, it just kind of it's like it's almost like a blind spot, yeah, yeah. It really is. But you talk about that mindset where you know we're out on a boat, we're tr- Moving around, looking mm-hmm. for something, and you hear, you feel the captain pull the throttle back, and it's slowing down. Everyone runs for the oh, rod, yeah. Yeah. runs to the bait tank, and I'm just like, okay, 
or yeah. a turn. Get yeah. out, get out of yeah. the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> get, your, get your line in the water. Then I'll get, I'll get set. You know, you, get, yeah. you just gotta have that mindset. It's not always the first in the water to get bit. Yeah, yeah. And so that that side of things like always intrigues me. You know, obviously there's a lot. I would never claim myself to be a good fisherman. I try as much as I can. I don't get to obviously go that much. And I think rod and reel fishing, I was trying to explain this to somebody yesterday. We were talking about spear fishing and and I do love spear fishing. Well, but let's talk there's about that here in a minute. There's something that like is so cool to me. <clears throat> the history of rod and reel fishing in California, like something about it that like you have these people who go out on boats every weekend fishing and they're like normally the old guys that could not care less about social media mm-hmm. and they've been roping and fish with surface irons for 40 years, you know, yep. and that is so cool to me. Like the progression of rods and reels and all that stuff. Um, it just fascinates me. It's kind of, kind of like probably the same as looking up the history of surfboards and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. there's this nod to kind of like, this is the way California used to be in a way, like when you go on a sport boat that I, I just cherish. I think like I try to tell as many people as I can to like go on a sport boat, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a half day, whether it's a twilight, whether it's a day and a half, whatever. Yeah. Like if you want true adventure in California and you're tired of like the commutes and you're tired of like the people around you, like we have a whole wilderness like out there. It's just yeah. underwater. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's accessible by the boat, by the boat. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It's cool. So if you had to describe your podcast in, uh, I won't say a single word, but like maybe a phrase or two, what would you say? What's it about? So I try to, on my Instagram, I wrote something that was like uh, a shared wisdom through the outdoor experience, trying to find basically your best self and helping other people along the way, you know? Mm -hmm. So to me, like I've always kind of had a hard time with brands or companies or things like that when it's like too inapproachable, like certain things you're just like, always like, I can't ever be that cool. Like, I'm beginning, you know, I'm mm-hmm. not fishing every day. I'm not like out there. I don't know what I'm doing. And you probably have seen this a lot. I know you worked on a sport boat, but like grown men being like nervous to do something. <laughs> and it, and I, and I obviously don't have, this is what I'm like trying to address is like, mm-hmm. they're CEOs. They're like all these people who like are very successful in like all these other areas and yet, like, I just have been taking a couple people out to, like, shoot a bow recently. And we've been talking about, like, how nervous they get, mm-hmm. like, pulling a bow back. And you're like, it's not going to hurt. I mean, obviously, if you shoot it at somebody, it could hurt them. But it's not going to hurt anybody. Yeah. Right. But you can see, like, visibly, like, how nervous they get. And so kind of approaching these experience and giving people more opportunity to find their strength to explore their um adventure to find like like i said like their purpose you know most people i love sorry and i love speaking in gross generalizations (laughs) but most people i think struggle with finding purpose in their life you know and yet i've kind of said this a couple times recently but you will never be bored once you start fishing and hunting. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can believe that. If if it's like the simple thing of like passing this on to your kids or helping a friend who's going through a breakup or they just had a loss in the family or anything like that, there's nothing that quite heals you like the outdoors and gives you this like inner strength. And we've as people I think have been talking about this for as long as we have had written word, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. that uh, the outdoor space is 
spiritual, you know, yeah. to some degree. And uh, so I think the podcast to me is that general search for why people do things, what stories they're telling, and kind of how to find your own story in yeah. all of this. And to me, obviously, there's a ton of other stories that you can find. But to me, like the outdoor story, the outdoor self is something that people are, one in, in one hand, losing, you know, day by day. It's like with suburbs and living in cities and all that right. stuff, it's just very hard to be in the outdoor space. But two, it's also one of those things that's becoming, in some spaces, less and less popular, you know, as like a general stereotype, you yeah, know, of like, yeah. oh, this is socially acceptable to be somebody who's eating your own food that you caught or killed. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you kind of hit on a good point where when you go out fishing, uh, fishing is, is a, let's call it a sport because it, it is it levels the playing field for everybody mm -hmm. where you don't have to be strong and muscular like Darren here <laughs> to, to reel in a 200 pound bluefin. Yeah. You can be, um, you know, a teenager, you can be anywhere like just literally anyone can catch a fish mm -hmm. as long as they have the will. And, um, I guess just common skill to yeah. do it. And I think, you know, if we, I don't know, Darren, if we were to like, define our podcast in a little bit. I was kind of thinking about that. I would probably say like opportunity mm -hmm. to where we're like, you know, like what you said, we're by all means, we are not experts at no. fishing. No, we're not even close, nor will I, if I ever call myself an expert, you have 100% <laughs> permission to shoot. Them. But it's like we, the, the reason why we kind of started this whole deal is because it not it gave us an opportunity to give everyone else an opportunity mm -hmm. to to mm -hmm. speak where you know you could be the newbie just starting out or not even just have even like a remote interest just you saw a couple of fishing videos on YouTube and you like it and you can easily sub uh, subscribe yeah or you can be like the prof the true professionals and mm -hmm. like just learn something new yeah or something that we just bullshit about and yeah, talk about exactly. I have, and we say this all the time in uh, fly fishing, but it is very hard to fly fish in ugly places. Mm -hmm. You know, it yeah. is very hard to be in a place that you're like, isn't this beautiful? Like, you've got these mountain ranges, you've got this mm -hmm. stream like rolling through the meadows, you've got all this like grass and wildlife around you. And you're like, I can't believe that I get to be here for eight hours or whatever mm -hmm. it is. But it's the same on the ocean. Like even if you step back, it, like let's say it's a day that you really aren't catching anything and you just step back and you're like, I can't believe that I get to do this. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's one of my favorite, my favorite feelings. And so the, the more I get to give that to other people, you know, I know you guys do it through information you guys are constantly passing on information with having awesome guests captains people who've been in the industry for years and years um talking about how to do this a little bit better and a little bit easier you know like not everybody can afford a you know eight hundred dollar rod and reel setup right mm -hmm. but you can also say in that same sentence or you could rent this and still go fish. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can get these like top of the line equipment for a rental cost and go catch a bluefin. So the entry level of what people think that they need versus what is actually available to them, like there's not a place that you can go like be like, hey, can I rent a shotgun so I can go like <laughs> go hunt? But you can with you can with you know, whether, like I said, it's a twilight boat and you mm -hmm. want to like go catch a couple rockfish and take them home and make fish tacos. Yeah. Or a four day trip and you can even borrow like knife jigs. You know, mm -hmm. it's like I can do all that. And so there's, I love that idea of opportunity that you guys are, are talking about. And I think that's where we get on the same page completely is. Mm -hmm. 
we're trying to get people to participate in yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, participate in so many different levels too, to where you're absolutely right. Where, you know, you don't need the $800 setup. Mm-hmm. You can just go rent a setup that's very viable and it's going to get the job done for 40 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're going, if you're going fishing anywhere, you can, you can spend 40 bucks. Yeah. But, you know, also participating in the, I call it the harvesting aspect to where mm-hmm. not too many people, they expect, oh, there's fish at the grocery store mm-hmm. or there's, mm-hmm. you know, some red meat or whatever, whatnot. There's chicken. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there that that is true. You can easily go and, and use your money and go buy it there or you can even harvest it yourself. Yeah. Or to me, it's way more fulfilling um, to where like doing the work, even like dressing elk and all that stuff too. It's like, it, it's, it's so gratifying. Mm-hmm. Gratifying is really the word. Yeah. There's nothing more special to me than sharing a meal together with friends or mm-hmm. family with something that you caught, yeah. you know, or with something that you, you got an elk. And every time you pull that elk out of the freezer, you get to have this meal where it's hard to put into words um, but the only the the word that comes to my mind is sacred. You mm-hmm. know, you value this animal and you think it every time you eat it, which I've I came from like a very heavy Christian background. And so that whole idea of like saying grace mm-hmm. or like praying before a meal has like a big, big it's a huge practice. Like most right. people do it. But it's weird when you actually think about this animal this animal, let's say it's yellowtail that you brought home and cut it up, you know, that night or the day before or something like that. And you're all having this feast together. Mm -hmm. There's like a different level of gratitude in that sentence, you know, of saying thanks. And I think, um, to me, that is a very sacred thing. And it's hard. Like, I don't think most people like killing anything, you know, like, obviously I think you'd, you'd be in a lot of trouble if you're like, I really enjoyed this. <laughs> but the basic idea of like, we need food. Mm-hmm. I think the very first job probably in all of human, you know, society was, was the provider. Yeah. You know, it's like you bringing home food to eat, whether it was fish or whether it was, you know, the deer population or whatever is like you your job was to bring home food to give to multiple people. And mm-hmm. somehow that like really resounds yeah. in your own self-worth when you can do that. I, not, not to mention, too, that all that meat that we harvest, whether you're hunting or fishing, mm-hmm. it's clean. Yeah. yeah. Very clean. Yeah. I, I like the fact um, when I, I like being the quote-unquote the good neighbor to mm-hmm. where yeah. you have, okay, if you catch a cow bluefin, 200 pounds plus or whatever, um, yeah, can you eat all that? Sure, over time. But you can also go feed plenty of families with that mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And just with being in our industry, our industry is super generous when it comes to that. Yes, it is. I don't know anybody who would take the take home their fish and process it themselves and wouldn't share it with anyone. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone, any of those people. I would r- rather give it away than watch it go bad in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, frostbite, exactly. whatever. 200 pounds is a lot of meat. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have it. <laughs> you're not eating it every day. Uh-uh. It's got <laughs> right. a chance of going bad. So it's yeah, a I'd lot of poke it, bowls. Yeah. I'd rather give it away too. Yeah. To, to but, the neighbors. But I think that's kind of a, um, I don't know whether it was like a mi- misperception of, of what f- the fisherman, the common fisherman mm-hmm. is like or whatever, but that's totally the, the, my mentality to where, okay, for those that say, say those that, because they're, they do exist that are against fishing. They don't want us to do it for mm-hmm. whatever reasons and all that. And when I get to go home and, you know, obviously processing it is not pretty and all that. We know that, but I share a piece of fish with them and Mm -hmm. it's like you said, Darren, super clean, organic, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a, it's almost like a gesture to them. It's like, Hey, this is what comes out of me going fishing Mm -hmm. is like, and Mm -hmm. it's 100% uh, natural. Yeah. I mean, it's all part of the, part of the food chain, right? Yep. Humans are kind of at the top. It's wild to me, the fishing in general, 
is this thing where m- most of the time you eat fish and it's going to be wild, mm-hmm. you know, but you can be the one that actually catches it. Right now, I think we're at this kind of crossroads where like farmed fish have become pretty popular in the mm-hmm. supermarket. And I am not a biologist. I don't, I only have observed this. But when I was living in Seattle, they started to have a lot of fish farms up there for Atlantic salmon. Mm-hmm. And so when you go to the store and you're buying, you know, farmed, they're calling it wild, you know, wild uh, salmon. But for the most part, it's still farmed. Mm-hmm. These Atlantic salmon are swimming, getting through the nets, doing all that stuff. They're swimming up into our king salmon populations and giving them all these bacterias and all this stuff and like really, oh, really yeah. hurting the populations of king salmon on the West Coast. And you're like, why are we doing this? You know, mm-hmm. like we're we're trying to take away the popularity of you going out on a boat and catching it yourself or like saying how much like the ecosystem is, you know, downfalling because of fishing pressure, this or that overfishing. And yet we're causing a bigger problem in the long run because we're bringing Atlantic salmon over onto the Pacific (laughs) ocean and saying, good luck. Like, yeah. yeah. And it, those choices just don't make a lot of sense. And I will say, like, I, I recently heard that this is the number one existential crisis of, you know, the, the early 20s for kids these days mm-hmm. is climate crisis, is the, you know, idea oh, like, that every— like their priority. Their priority. Whatever. It's yeah. like they're so afraid that climate change is going to— kill off everybody Mm -hmm. become like this thing where the earth no longer is the earth and things don't work you know you can't get food we're all going to die off because of climate change and man like going into dangerous territory here i know (laughs) but it's just like it's so sad to me because like i said if you go out and you spend time in wildlife, you might see something very different. And obviously, a lot of what I do is aimed at the end goal of conservation, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think any fisherman most likely will tell you, like, especially if it's their job, like, this is how I get money. Yeah. If this fish goes away, like, I don't have a house. I don't have... You know, a family anymore. Yeah. Like I can't support them because of this is my livelihood. So the very last thing that I want to do is like overfish or take so much that this will never come back. You know? Yeah, it's it's illogical to so, where you know you think because us as fishermen, we love we love uh, fishing all the time. We love harvesting and all that. We consume what we eat, and we don't really take as much or more than what we need typically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, it's completely illogical to, to paint, uh, to paint us in a corner to where, Oh, well, we're only fishing because we, we want all this, all these fish gone. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. My question for CCA in general is like the end goal of conservation. Like what in your guys's head does conservation look like? I think you guys have a little bit more access than I do probably at like understanding the the long arc of fishing, the impacts of fishing, but also like the protection of the fish, you know, in the mm-hmm. ocean. Um what are kind of for my for for the people listening from my end, like what do you guys think about the next 10 years, the next 50 years, the next 100 years of fishing, I guess, do you have fear that it will fade away or? <laughs> well, okay. So, <laughs> well, that's a two, that's a two-sided question. Cause are you asking if we had it our way? 
Or well, yeah, it is a two-sided question. Yeah. I guess I don't mean it to be a trick question. No, no I, yeah, I know, yeah. but you know, obviously, you know, we're fighting other things. That's what because that's what we do. Yeah, we fight to keep our rights for fishing. Yeah, um, but if we had it our way, I mean, it would just be a sustainable mm-hmm. sport, or you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, look, the, the cow cod's a, a perfect example. Yeah, with yeah. it coming back so soon. The word that you use is sustainable, and that's absolutely one hundred percent true. To where, you know, I guess if we had to define success in conservation and all that, um, you know, I think we would probably define that as something that you know we're getting more people into our sport, which is mm-hmm. first and foremost our true one hundred percent love is is the resources and to protect those. Mm-hmm. In order to protect those, you have to conserve. Mm-hmm. So I would say that that ultimately is number one, the number one goal right there. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it kind of depends on who you ask within CCA because you know what we're obviously a national organization to where we have different locations all throughout nineteen different states to be exact. We're one arm of nineteen. Yeah. So our priorities out in California are a little bit different than it they would be, say, in Florida or Texas. Yeah. To where, you know, for us, it's a little bit more uh, advocacy heavy mm-hmm. to where a lot of people that, um, I'll just say on the other side, um, a lot of people on the, on the other side of things want us shut down. Yeah. And they want to take that away from us. Mm-hmm. So it's almost kind of like, you're putting a lot of resources into that, but not so much into the other priorities, but still having a need for all these other priorities, which being um, habitat, which that's that's a huge pillar for CCA National mm-hmm. um, all across the country because in Texas, Florida, Louisiana, South Carolina, everywhere else except California, they're putting in artificial reefs to yeah. create more habitat yeah. for fish and all that. It's a lot of red tape and a lot of uh, hoops that we have to jump through here in California to get that uh, program underway. But mm-hmm. we're going through it um, right now, um, and we've only been in California for eight years, yeah, um, which is mind blowing. I've been around for five of those, and it seems like it's been two. Um, but <laughs> um, and then obviously another, the third pillar is the hatchery program, mm-hmm. where obviously you know that's pretty self-evident as to what that what that's all about um primarily the white sea bass program trying to expand upon that trying Mm -hmm. to keep that going we go after the funding for that program or more funding out of the state budget and everything like that Um, not to mention a lot of the volunteers a lot of our volunteers there's a lot of crossover between cca and hub sea world research institute Mm -hmm. A lot of our volunteers happen to be their volunteers who run out all the grow out facilities from San Diego down here all the way up to um, Channel Islands. Mm-hmm. So Channel Islands, I think, is the biggest grow out facility that we have where they house they house like ten thousand fish a year or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then usually in the springtime they'll release all those fish as does Dana Point in San Diego. <laughs> I, and- I caught a juvenile white sea bass on my float tube. Uh, last year in Newport oh, nice. Harbor. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I was like, I bet it's coming from. <laughs> yeah, it probably did. It probably did. Probably yeah. did. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, th- those are really the three pillars of at least CCA California advocacy, habitat, and hatchery. Yeah. But the overall goal of the national aspect is conserving the resource. Mm-hmm. That's for for first and foremost number one priority. Yeah. Conserving that resource. Yeah. So I think. Defining success on that is really trying to protect those resources in the mm-hmm. ocean and, and salt waters and all that stuff Yeah, to where we're able to do that. Not only we're able to do that, but our grandkids, great grandkids and generations to come to be able to do that too. Yeah. It's crazy. Like I could think of you guys a little bit like Ducks Unlimited, you know, where it's, you, you can't. The hard thing is, uh, like you said, in California is you can't necessarily buy up ocean land and say like, all right, we're going to have this like be a designated fish. Not yet. Not yet. It's coming. Yeah. But uh, in, you know, for Ducks Unlimited, they buy so much land and build it back into habitat restoration so that the ducks actually have a place to nest, a place to rest, a place Mm -hmm. to like be... Hatch, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And 
versus um, I think if it wasn't for Ducks Unlimited, I've thought about this a lot. If it wasn't for Ducks Unlimited, we would not even think twice about taking that land and making it into farmland, you know, and just, or putting a high rise on it. Totally, totally. (laughs) And completely like erasing that habitat, you know, all you need is a couple ponds here and there. And, but you do have to do a lot of management for it. And so Mm -hmm. with CCA, it's like, to me, I see the work that you guys do and, you know, in the end goal, hopefully is if you get more people fishing they're putting more money into you know, fish and wildlife and they're doing their part too. Like a lot of money that you give to your fishing license is going back into, you know, state funded stuff to get us more fish or more fishing opportunities. Not to mention all the data that could be collected where Mm -hmm. I know years ago it was like almost frowned upon to like, Oh, there's some surveyors on the dock. Don't talk to those guys. They're just, yeah. yeah. All they want to do is shut us down. Nowadays, it's almost like 180 where, like, we want you guys to talk to them. Go give them accurate information. Yeah. Um, one of the, one example is we worked or we continue to work with the CCFRP program, um, which basically they go and hire all the same sport boats and all the same skippers and all that. And we go fish inside and outside of MPAs. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually attend the ones up in Santa Barbara and Channel Islands. And I tell you, it's like the greatest photo opportunity you'll ever get <laughs> because we're pulling up. I'll show you some pictures later, but we're pulling up like just monstrous lingots and sheephead. Yep. And yeah, yeah, all that. Um, it's pretty cool. The but, fish know that line. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, they they know it. They know it. But years ago, what had happened was they were saying, and you know, it's not their fault or anything, but the science community was sent, sending out scientists mm-hmm. to go fish, and it's like. <laughs> Okay, that's yeah. that's one method of doing that. But at the other hand, we want uh, like anglers like us who actually are sticks on the boat. They yeah. know how to fish, and actually go produce some real results for them. Yeah, um, and that's that. That's been a huge uh, push for us too over the last couple of years. To where if you have more people involved, people that are getting better at fishing and all that, and people that are contributing those kinds of numbers, whether it's the recreational or the uh, commercial fleet mm-hmm. to where, okay, if you're, if you're reporting those numbers, it's only going to prove that a, that there are that many fish out there mm-hmm. and B it's just more accurate data, which is yeah. really the key. It almost just seemed to me like if we reported our numbers a little bit more like, with duck, with duck hunting, you know, it's called, um, geez, why am I blanking on it? The HIPAA? The HIPAA, yeah. With HIPAA, you get a letter in the mail, and it says, like, could you please con- complete this survey? Um, how many times did you hunt? What kind of ducks did you get? What kind of geese? Whatever. Mm-hmm. So I try really hard to, I mean, normally you have a journal anyways that you're, like, recording, like, oh, the wind did this today and the ducks did that and whatever. And you have photo proof of like, oh, this is my strap, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you already have that information. It's super easy to be like, in in a weird way, it's like your time to gloat to yourself. Like, (laughs) look how many ducks I got this year. Like, it's fun. It's, It's easy to do. But that information, I swear, goes so far, especially like the last couple of years with the drought. They want, they need those numbers because, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to make, no, they can make adjustments and say like, all right, yeah. for the next five years, you only get to shoot this many ducks or, you know, whatever. And they might change the seasons on you or whatever. And without that information, they're kind of just guessing, you know, but it's a pretty easy thing to say like, yeah, I got I did pretty good yeah. as duck hunting, you know, and we're, there's know, still ducks here. Yeah. We're, we're getting into this whole conversation where we've talked at length on our podcast about it's this concept between preservation and conservation mm-hmm. to where preservation, you basically just shut it all down mm-hmm. and lock it with a key and yeah. don't even, don't even look at it. Don't even touch it. Don't do anything with it. Conservation has an arm called, you know, obviously in the management phase yeah. where especially in California, we're one of the most, if not the most regulated state in the whole country and probably the world too, to where, okay, 
if we have really good management practices, and this mm-hmm. has been our huge deal with this whole 30 by 30 deal um, going on, or if we have really good management practices through the Fishing Game Commission, through CDFW, through PFMC, and all those agencies to where, you know, we're constantly, or not we, but they are constantly watching those numbers coming in and they're mm-hmm. constantly watching the stocks and all that to where, okay, if we have, it, they have the ability to do mid season adjustments. Mm-hmm. And as conservationists, we're all in favor of that. Like we definitely want, if there's something going on where we're hammering a species super hard one particular year Mm -hmm. and say, Hey, you know, for the good, good of the species. And so that we don't lose it later down the road, cool off, cool off. Like it it happened two years ago with the sheephead where I think we were like maybe a month left to go in the year. And uh, which has never happened before, CDFW gave uh, CCA and others sack as well a heads up saying, hey, uh, just letting you guys know, you guys are coming up pretty close to that limit on sheephead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just letting you guys know. And that relationship never really existed, say, 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. Where now it does. And so what what do they do? They said all the sport boat captains saying, hey, try try and let go all the sheephead. Let's just let's just kind of cool it off on, on yeah. a little bit. It's only a month. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can live with that. Yeah. yeah. Rather than the following year, it's like, oh, well, you guys went way over your limit. We're going to shut it all down. Mm-hmm. It's it's better than that. Yeah. And I think that cold, that, that uh, not coalition, but the partnership between the agencies, between us, between the anglers, commercial guys, whatever, it needs to exist. It does exist now, but yeah. it took years and years and years to do that. They did take great. away some... A few, uh, they redid the limit on sheephead, right? Are we allowed two now? Uh, yes. Versus yeah. we were able to have five. And I think they yeah. just made a rule too, and I could be wrong, but uh, they made a rule like once you fish deep, you can't fish shallow, or you know, some, something like that yeah. for the sport boat. So for, yeah, for this year. It's, well, for now.